0: Welcome to Queer Lodgings, the queer-led podcast about everything Tolkien. I'm Grace, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Leah and Alicia.
1: Hello. Hey, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us. Go ahead and pull up a chair near the fire, settle in with a warm, festive drink, and get ready for a Middle-Earth story time and discussion hour. Now, toward what we in the West often consider the end of the year, so many cultures around the world have celebrations of light and occasions for gift-giving. Gold and silver imagery and traditions abound, from Burl Ives singing about silver and gold and Rankin Bass's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Teleplay by Romeo Muller, who also did the teleplay for the Rankin Bass Hobbit and Return of the King specials, and who was famous to me for being Santa in my hometown when I was a child. On to Hanukkah gelt, which began as a tradition of payments of thanks to laborers and workers long before it became chocolate coins for children. To the tradition of buying gold and silver on Donterris, the first day of Diwali, to ensure good luck. And many Yule celebrations where gold and silver represent the light of the sun and the moon. Not unlike the light of the two trees of Valinor. And we're also going to embrace that imagery of precious metals and gifts in a uniquely Middle-earth setting. You see, today we're going to be talking about silver gifting. Silver fisting. What is that, you asked? We're so glad you asked. Silver Gifting is a ship name. Silver Fisting. <laughs> Alicia, let me get to the warnings before we get to it.
2: It's okay if you're underage. You don't know. <laughs> it's just his name. It's just his name.
1: Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. (laughs) All right. Moving along.
0: So it's not uncommon on the modern Internet to see ships or shipping discussions. uh, And we're not talking about, you know, ocean going vessels here. In the briefest possible terms, shipping is the desire to see two or more characters enter into a relationship. Often that's romantic or sexual, though not always. Deep friendships and queer platonic partnerships also fall under shipping, though the majority of discussion and works produced do tend to be of a romantic and or sexual nature. Fair warning, we're going to be discussing topics related to romantic and sexual relationships between characters in this episode shipping can be about hoping to see characters come together in canon that is hoping that the creative minds behind a book series movie video game or tv show or another art form will write official content that includes that ship or pairing it can be about thoughts and imagination on the part of the fans those are often referred to as head canons and exist in sort of a more idea-oriented space or It can be about creating transformative works that bring those thoughts and theories to the page or screen in the form of fan fiction, fan art, or fan bidding. Those are all transformative works, which the OTW, the Organization for Transformative Works, draws upon the words of the US Supreme Court to define as a work which is transformative from original source material. It adds something new with a further purpose or different character, altering the source with new expression meaning, or message. They give examples to help us understand what a transformative work entails, things like retelling a story from the villain's perspective or writing a story about a celebrity in a way that illustrates something about current attitudes towards celebrity or sexuality. There's a rich and complex history of fan works in their present form that stretches back decades to Star Trek fanzines in the 1960s and reader response criticism Uh, Beginning in the 1970s. It's generated academic study and archiving projects that are deeply impressive. There are scholarly discussions being had as to how to categorize various fan works over time and whether they count as quote unquote fan fiction specifically. But it's often pointed out that the Aeneid, Paradise Lost, Shakespearean histories, hagiographies of the Virgin Mary dating back to the early 200s, and pretty much every Arthurian legend are modern-for-their-time reworkings of established stories. Man fiction ain't new. The major difference is that throughout history, cis men have been more likely to get paid for their creative work than women and queer people. As recently as 2018, an academic study showed that the more female authors write in a genre, the less they typically get paid compared to genres with predominantly male-identified authors. I have a graph in here that was part of that that write up of that study, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But just suffice to know that this graph that charts the relationship between gender and the in genre and how much the writers in that genre make is really just a study in how to turn a scatter plot into an arrow pointing at no money.
1: Yeah, seriously. Yeah,
0: that. This particular study didn't include fanfiction, but that trend continues there. With most forms of fanworks, due to copyright laws and the requirements of fair use, people aren't trying to get paid. And creators of fanworks are predominantly women and queer people. Across a number of surveys and studies throughout the last decade or so, somewhere around 80% of fanfiction readers and writers identified as a gender identity other than male. So female, non-binary, gender queer and significantly more than half identified as being part of the queer community. In fact, Tabitha Carvin, in an article from Overland, notes that a lot of people who create fan works actively embrace the anti-capitalist nature of the art form, with a focus on exchanges and collaboration. She terms that a gift economy, which brings us right back around to silver gifting, our charming ship name, from the era of the internet where In comparison to simply listing out names separated by slash marks or smashing names together in portmanteaus like Bennifer, it was more common to each individual relationship in an IP being granted their own unique name by fan consensus, usually with particular significance to the characters involved.
2: So when we say silver gifting, who are we talking about and who are they to each other? All right, I will step in here. Um, Silver gifting is Celebrimbor and Anatar or Sauron, depending on the author. Most people are talking about Sauron as Anatar, which is a slightly different character than Sauron as Sauron in fanfic. Which, um, if you are new to fanfic, that might be a little difficult for you to wrap your head around, but you do have to keep in mind Sauron canonically trans in a lot of different ways and inhabits different beings throughout his uh, tenure in Middle Earth. Silver gifting is also known as we should give some warnings here. We (laughs) mentioned earlier that this is going to contain sexual content. That is 100% true. It's also, as you now know, about Sauron. So keep that in mind. There's going to be some violent content as well. The other name for silver gifting is silver fisting. It is my preferred name for this particular grouping because that's just who I am as a person. Honestly,
0: <laughs> we only went with silver gifting in order to have the link to like a holiday excuse for this.
2: Indeed, indeed. Merry fucking Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> and Happy Hanukkah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I guess also to kind of expand somewhat, I don't think that we're going to get too far into this in this particular podcast, but if you get interested in sofa gifting, just kind of be aware that there's also some content warnings you should be aware of, specifically around the relationship dynamic between Celebrimbor and Anatar, which some people might not find to their taste tends to be more manipulative and non-consensual, that sort of thing. So darker sexual themes.
0: There can also be some dubious consent involved because Sauron is canonically concealing his identity.
1: Exactly. So just be warned. And if that's not your jam, that's totally great. You know, take care of yourself. Yeah.
2: If this isn't your jam, see you guys in January. Yeah. (laughs) Happy holidays. Probably don't stick around.
0: (laughs) So I do want to take a moment just for folks who aren't necessarily up on all of their Silmarillion level lore, given that, you know, we know a little bit about Sauron from from Lord of the Rings, if you've read or seen that. But Celebrimbor gets like one quick mention in all of Lord of the Rings that blink and you'll miss it sort of thing. We know that he crafts the rings, that he is the elven smith who crafts the doors of Moria Dor- Durin's doors with Narvi. And that's kind of the reference that we get within the text of Lord of the Rings, especially like the first edition of it. So a little bit of context or backstory is that, and anybody can jump in here to, to assist me with this storytelling, but Celebrimbor is the smith who forges all of these great rings under the wisdom influence guidance of Anatar. Who like comes to the elves as this emissary of the Valar, right? To, to help quote. I'm I'm from the Valar and I'm here to help, sort of thing. Which right?
2: technically not a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically not a lie. But Anatar is just kind
0: of holding back this really key detail that Anatar is actually Sauron. And so there is this fairly significant significant period of time where Celebrimbar believes that there's this friendly, very fair guised, very attractive. I mean, Tolkien is is very keen, uh, in particular, in stating like this is Sauron's fair form. He comes in the the form of Anatar, who is known as the Lord of Gifts. So that's where the the gifting comes in here as well. So there's this long period of time in the canonical timeline where these characters do meet and interact and have time in which to develop whatever type of relationship, which, as we know, does kind of end up in not a great place with a lot of war and death and terribleness. But I do like to note that Tolkien himself uses some pretty interesting words when he talks about Sauron's deceptions and and this Anatar guys and all of that and those words just you know a smattering off the top of my head include lust desire and snaring and seducing these are literally the, the words that Tolkien writes so there's certainly some basis for fandom to sort of latch onto this and look into Trying to contextualize what that relationship might look like and why events may have happened, or recontextualize events in like alternate storylines.
1: yes, with rabid fervor, those <laughs> those four I like, think those little words like seduce and and lust, especially. it's like uh, you can spin whole worlds off of
2: that. So of course, fanfic writers being what they are, they do. And people will sail a ship on a lot less than that. Like how many ships got sailed off of one hug between Thorin and Bilbo? Ah,
1: so many. (laughs) So many.
2: (sighs) Yeah, I will say that this isn't actually a a really common pairing. It's not a really niche pairing, but it's also not like a bag and shield, which is Thorin-Bilbo. I mentioned it in the Galadriel episode, actually. It's about the same popularity as uh, Galadriel-Gandalf. Yeah.
0: I think as I was looking today I saw about 680 690 fix with this pairing listed. There may be more that have the the same characters and explore things that people aren't categorizing as a ship, but that ship tag on archive of our own has about 685 fix. Wow. Archive of Our Own, if people aren't familiar, is a, an archive of fan works that is run by the Organization for Transformative Works and really just seeks to archive fan works on the internet and, and make a, a place to, to house them safely. Speaking of those fan works, one of the things that we do want to do today is actually give some readings out of some selected, uh, selected fix. Hey, Shouty! <laughs> Shouty wants to read too. She's ready to read. Shouty, what's your favorite Silver fisting fic?
1: Oh, let's find out.
0: She's pondering.
2: Yeah, there's so many of the new way from.
0: that ship name of Silver fisting, which is such a delightfully naughty sounding one, is actually. Really, just a description of Celebrimbor's name. It literally translates to Silver Fist. Right. And <laughs> you need only turn that into an action to get some explicit rated fanfiction ideas. <laughs>
1: And before people get too nitpicky, people will go like, well, actually, it means more like, you know, a hand being a tool as a craftsperson or something like that. rather it works than in a my opinion. Punch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We know. Yeah. But it, it literally be silver fist. So there you go. Grasping a tool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tool. Yeah. Take that where you will.
0: And listen, listen, there can be six hundred and eighty nine of these fics if our listeners want to go ahead and, and contribute to <laughs> yeah, yeah. be the change you want to see in the world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. If you are writing silver gifting fanfic, link it in the comments to this. Please yeah, let us podcast when we post it on Facebook. I would like to know. <laughs> Yeah, Feel free to make so that, that anonymous,
0: too, if you don't put your real life wallet name on any of your really smutty fan fiction works, yeah. or as I have heard one college student refer to it recently, the short fiction that I publish on an archive.
2: Ah, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's mm. good resume talk right there. That's really good it resume sure talk. <laughs> Great. Great.
1: Well, yeah, this is our like a holiday sort of gifty, you know, hang out and read some fun stories. Yeah, I
0: think Alicia has read at least the longest fic in the genre that any of us have. So I think maybe we'll start off there.
2: Cool. So I am going to be reading three chapters from a work called Silmarillion Prompts. It's by Ebony Kitty 552. It's a 680,000 word fic that has 432 chapters. It's not all (laughs) silver gifting, sadly. It is other things as well. There are like eight or 10 chapters that are specifically silver gifting. The three that I'm going to be reading are uh, 100% out of order. The way that this fic is written is because it's a series of writing prompts. It really skips around, but she manages to skip around in time and location in such a way that it still reads as one cohesive narrative. I have done the work of putting these kind of in order for this reading today. Also, there are a bunch of Quenya words in this that I'm going to butcher, so just cut me some fucking slack, all right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So noted.
2: (laughs) Okay, we're starting with chapter 226, called Heat. It was not mere beauty that captured and enraptured the last of the infamous House of Feonaro. Having grown up in a family of naturally and intensely attractive men and women, Telper Quinyar was not drawn to anything so shallow and empty as physical prowess or elegance of the face and form not when he knew what ugliness could be lingering underneath such an inconspicuous facade made for the sole purpose of deception. To him, beauty was nothing more than an outward image painted over something intrinsically different and intriguing and unsettling, something hidden and dangerous, worthy of searching out, but also potentially harmful and equally worthy of weariness and caution. It was nothing to be concerned with in the end, beauty of the body for it was as oft a lie as it was the truth. And thus, Telpraquenjar liked to take pride in the fact that he knew some of the most stunning and breathtaking beings walking Middle-earth and felt not a drop of lust for a single one of them, not even his cousin Artanis, who was a great and profound beauty among even the glory and perfection of the elves. Telpraquenjar did not shy to admit that he was more attracted to Narvi of Doom than he would ever be to the haughty and wild-spirited daughter of the house of Arafinwe. I love that so much. <laughs> it's so sweet. Though admittedly, Anatar outshone even Artanis in perfection of face and form with incredible ease, it would not have been enough to draw forth the attentions of the Lord of Aragion in of its outward appeal. There needed to be substance and substance had been provided, offered upon a silver platter for tasting. Many other things there were about the golden-haired Maya that bound up Telper Quignar's arms and legs, left him breathless in that overpowering presence and wordless in the face of that smile, stumbling over himself like a newly-minted colt who had never so much as wooed a woman to his favor before. It was the intensity. How Anatara could walk into a room and fill it completely, no matter its size, no matter who might already be present. All eyes would immediately be drawn to the pale form in awed wonder. When Anatara was present, Teproquenyar felt it, pressing against him from all directions, washing over him, blocking all else from his sight and senses but that porcelain skin upon the handsome face of his fellow smith. It was the pure intelligence. Being able to sit and speak plainly to another about his passion— being able to lean across the dinner table and hold a riveting discussion of metallurgy or jewel-cutting, of which even the most talented of the Gwyth Mirdan could scarcely make heads or tails. Being able to hear that low, melodic voice thrum in excitement and delight vibrating through the air around him. It was the feeling of the powerful spirit brushing up against his own. Not burning, as many of the others describe the feel of Amaya in their midst not like touching an open flame and feeling the sting of reddened skin protesting as it was roasted and peeled away. Instead, Anatar would draw close, peering over his shoulder or brushing against his side. Telpraqueniar would shudder from the base of his spine down to his toes and utter awareness of the body nearby, of the warmth radiating from its center and raining down upon his skin. The spirit in of itself was as a star radiating iridescence to put to shame even Anar. But it was the heat that encircled and entrapped, the simmer under the skin that glowed glowed and writhed. As a son of the blood of Feonaro, rare it was for Tilburquenar to feel scalded. But the spirit of this Maya stoked his flame. It was not cool to the touch as a splash of water meant to douse, but rather an inferno that swallowed him whole, washed over every inch of his body and cradled tenderly, blanketed his bare skin with a strange feeling of camaraderie and safety and attraction to the point where Talbukwiniar craved that touch, wanted to languish in the presence of the other all day and all night, if only to have it close, wanted to touch that skin coated in a thin sheen of gold, but still so pale, just to see if it was as metal left beneath the sun to his chilled fingertips, wanted to run his hands through the untamed curls spilling over broad shoulders, wondering how they would feel if he slept within their tangles and nothing else wanted to cup high cheekbones and tilt that head down so that he might stare into those eyes, eyes that spoke of the true nature of the being with such a sultry, delicate appearance, that spoke of the molten core, of playfulness and passion and seduction, and of the organized chaos of creation from destruction. Eyes that left the elf, panting and shivering in the darkness of his bedchambers when sleep eluded and his body itched and trembled, eyes that had the elf imagining them, looking down upon his coiled and impassioned form from above as they... It was an obsession. Helper Quinyar knew that, knew the danger, remembered the tragedy, recognized the look of mania in his own eyes when they were reflected back from the polished silver surface of a mirror, the truth of the matter lying out naked in the brightness of the noon, Somerili, family, revenge, attraction, freedom, atonement, the house of Feonara was a den of obsessions, a den of tragic downfalls. But he knew now the ugly truth of the matter, that when this heat struck him down and trussed him up and held him captive, he could not flee and could not think rationally and could not untangle himself, could not drive it off or put it out so simply as he had thought. Wanted only to hold it closer and closer until it merged with his being if this was what turka Fenway felt when he looked at the lady luthien telper quenyar knew he could never again think his uncle a possessive psychopath because it was agonizing this want the very thought of allowing anatar to slip through his fingers of seeing that glorious visage smiling crookedly at another that warmth that warmth of spirit wrapping his arms in an intimate embrace about someone else telper knew the taste of true obsession of the blood of his kith and kin, the fae gleam in the eye that led Fanaro to the sin of slaughter and the reckless passion to bind charge into battle, the overwhelming pull of lust toward another person that could not be quenched or stifled, only be fulfilled or remain tormenting and unrequited, the heady pleasure or desire to protect what mattered most, even at the cost of honor and reputation and sanity, even at the price of eternal damnation and the smear of innocent blood across pale warrior's palms. When he looked upon Anatar, he felt the fire in his own blood ten times more fiercely, felt the possessive desperation, the willingness to do almost anything to grab hold with unshakable fists, and it was within his reach, watching and waiting in the depths of fire opal eyes, if only he could reach out to touch and pray that he did not get burned. Oof. Man. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. I'm, like, fanning myself. Wow. All right. Would you like to discuss this now, or let me read through the other two? <laughs> oh, man. I think we
1: should discuss, and then we can kind of break it up into to bits.
2: Yeah?
0: sure
2: yeah yeah so grace uh we've been having some conversations back and forth about what we like in a a silver gifting fic and what are your thoughts thus far i don't know i don't think i've formed an opinion on this one yet because my my opinions
0: on what i like in silver gifting fic are still pretty nebulous it's not actually even though it's the first pairing that we're talking about on the podcast it's not actually one that i had read that broadly in so i'm i'm still getting familiar with the content and what there is in a general sense though i know i like like trope inversions and things like that so i'm excited to see where this goes and how things get reframed from our initial understandings
2: yeah i will say that i really like that he brings up galadriel and narvi here yeah me too I, I don't like the overuse of French words, and that is such a fucking nitpicky thing, <laughs> and I know that. But like every single yeah. time I see a word like visage, I'm like, all right.
0: <laughs> I would definitely like to see more silver fisting fix lean on the like Anatar's appearance being usually at least depicted as a very like light-haired elf or whatever. And Celebrimbor's, at least in one version of the Legendarium, his canonical feelings for Galadriel that are not reciprocated.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then, you know, where he may take that in terms of, you know, Celebrimbor has a type.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: I, I was really digging the uh the, the fire imagery and some of the other like the obsession sort of callbacks to his family, especially. Fionor and all of his his kin, of course, like the the history of Middle Earth is sort of defined by their obsession, I guess. And You know, it's kind of one of those themes, I think, that in in Tolkien that becomes something that's so so fraught. And so it it becomes very complicated and complex when you kind of try to pair this idea of obsession with something like really deep romantic feelings as well.
2: Yeah, we didn't actually mention it when we were going over who Celebrimbor is, but he is Feanor's grandson.
1: Yeah, he's the son of Curufin. And he's also sort of like the lord of the smiths of Eregion. And we kind of glossed over it. He did forge the three elven rings, which is probably his, I guess, his greatest work. But he had a lot of aspirations towards becoming as, creating works that were perhaps as famous and great and renowned as that of his grandfather's. And that's a theme that I would, I kind of would love to see embellished more in some silver gifting fix and explored is like how does Anatar sort of take his knowledge and history of his family and stoke those fires of ambition and aspiration and how does this bring them closer together in wanting to create something great like the two of them want to create something really great for middle for middle earth
0: I definitely I confess that one of my favorite tropes that exists within silver gifting fic is where Celebrimbor at some point amidst the deceptions becomes aware of who Sauron actually is what Anatar's identity actually is and like makes a conscious choice to either believe that he's changed or give a second chance or whatever. And and in some fix that is supported and there is a happy ending or a happy for now ending. And in some that's, you know, a, a great flaw and tragedy. But that addition of agency is something that I definitely find fascinating within the options for this pairing. There is an author's note in one of the fix that i was looking at that is basically just like listen there are so many different versions of what this could be within the legendarium and it's written so loosely with so much space there is so much room to envision all the different ways that this particular story could have played out and i yeah. like that i like those like mirrored parallel options and all that yeah so.
2: And in, in one of the chapters I'm not reading today, it actually goes into why Celebrimbor started making the elven rings. And he started mm-hmm. yeah. with the ring of fire as a love gift to Sauron. And in making that ring, that's when he found out that Sauron had d- betrayed him. Oh my God. <laughs> I kind of love that. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay.
0: I told you before we started the episode that I was going to confess to one of my frustrations with silver gifting, silver fisting fic. And I will do that now <laughs> um, because it kind of relates to this like this making of the rings and all of that. I have not read every fic on archive of our own in this particular pairing, so if listeners do want to correct my assumptions or find me the things that I have not found, but it seems just like a tremendous missed opportunity to me that Sauron and Kela Brimbor make rings together. <laughs> the one ring! A ring which changes size to fit the bearer as... <laughs> Sauron's <laughs> will and I have seen absolutely no instances of using the one ring as a cock
1: ring and I think this is a problem
0: yeah, I, I agree need
1: to you, I was going to say are you serious there's got to be at least one there's 680 something there's got to be one like, I
0: I honestly spent 20 minutes before this episode looking to make sure that I could not find it. So if any of our listeners can actually find one and you can tell me in the comments because I would be delighted to know about it. But certainly there's there's nothing that is tagged that way. There are in fact, and I think this is also just a travesty, only two fics that have the tag of, like, Sauron that even have the tag of Cochran. And that's, again,
1: an, an oversized, a missed Got opportunity. You. Internet, you are failing us right now. We cannot be the only three who have thought this before. Like, no, 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 right. no, no. I, I simply can
2: I mean, maybe that. everyone else has the good
0: taste not to write it, but... <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so if one were to Google Sauron cockering. In the first line that comes up on Google Images, are someone actually producing one ring cock rings? And oh, bless one of the you. other Thank ones, you. internet, you, you know, one of those scale versions of the rings that are like so big you have to hold them in both hands? One of them is that picture. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. Bless you, Internet. There is a YouTube video
0: that I'm not sure I'm going to click on, but it it has the (laughs) subtitle, uh, Sauron's Ultimate Penis Ring for that Corrupting Feeling You Love.
1: (laughs) That's a campaign like that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Internet. You have not failed. It's just people on our our own who have perhaps not lived up to this this challenge. Folks,
0: folks, we have work to do. We have our work work to do.
1: Get to it. Get to it.
0: And I would, by the way, be delighted to be wrong. So go ahead
2: and send me those links. Oh, my God. Just start uh, furiously writing right now. Yeah. <laughs> hey,
0: hey. Be the change you want to see in the world.
2: We will give you a special shout out on our next episode. If you are the one who crafts yeah. the Sauron yeah. cock fanfic. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you want to segue into to the next chapter? Sure. Next chapter is chapter 43. Like I said, they are very much not in order. This one's called Lust. Ooh. For as long as he could truly remember, as long as he had walked upon the earth in the raiment of a man, Sauron had had one ultimate desire, one need that consumed his entire existence and demanded his complete and utter attention at all times. It was all-encompassing, and had driven him to such desperate lengths that he had knelt at the feet of his most hated enemy and master, demeaning himself and uttering oaths of false loyalty, if only to stay in favor with the power that could have crushed him without a second thought, if only to further himself to gain piece by piece. But in the back of his mind, he had always desired more, so much more, than that ugly existence. He had never been satisfied as Morgoth's lieutenant, his revered, reviled tormentor, the best of the best and the greatest of the greatest. It had never been enough to be feared by all upon the earth. By the elves and the men and the orcs and even his own fellow servants of darkness, always he had hungered for more, more power, more, more, more until he could languish in the golden honeyed feeling of being obeyed and worshipped until it surrounded him and cradled him and bent to his will. Oh, how he had hated his master Melkor. But Melkor was no more upon this earth, and Sauron was free, free to pursue his greatest desire, his unquenchable lust for power, the longing to have the world driven to its knees by his armies, ravaged by his forces, begging and pleading for his non-existent mercy, and licking the toes of his boots. What a delicious image it would be to have all the free peoples of Middle-earth prostrated before him, utterly in his hands, chained more efficiently and effectively than any metal of the earth could hope to bind for they would wear chains of devotion obedience and terror the very idea gave him a noxious yeah. high a feeling that <laughs> hey <Sheldon. laughs> a feeling that made she him glow with pleasure all he had to do was think of that the goal waiting at the end of the long arduous task and his golden face would become more radiant than the star's No one would ever look at him and think him a monster, though that was what he was. And then something had gone terribly wrong. Something had changed. Sauron now had a new desire, an unwanted desire, one that nearly trumped the urge to burn and consume and remake and own and everything and everyone utterly. It was but an elf, one elf, but what an elf he was. All with a face that would make the Valar weep, with eyes sharper than any spear and brighter than any divine light. The sheer fire that burned within this elf spirit tingled against Sauron's flesh and soul, as if it radiated sheer strength of will and turbulent, vehement determination. Radiated all he wanted to subdue to his will. This elf was the embodiment of everything Sauron desired and wished to control, wished to contain, wished to chain and lock up and hide deep beneath the earth so it would never see anything but him again, never see Anor, never see Ethel, I- never see the starry dome overhead. He lusted. Oh, how he lusted. Oh, how he desired. Oh, how he longed to possess. Celebrimbor was his. From his raven hair to the rippling muscles of his smith's arms— and back to the delicious curve of his rear end to the tips of his elegant fingers and toes, every sultry inch belonged to Sauron, and he would allow no other to touch what was his. Some days he wondered which lust triumphed in his mind. If he forgot, even for an hour, about his plans and schemes, about the purpose of the bejeweled rings forged in the fires of Aragian, then he would never admit it to himself. Nothing could be more important than succeeding where his revolting former master had failed, than obtaining all that he had ever panted after for as long as his spirit could recall existing in Aya. Yet even as he thought such things, things that had once given him unspeakable pleasure, the image of naked glistening flesh and the sound of hushed, breathy cries would ring in his ears, and Sauron wondered bleakly how this elf had gotten under his skin, would wonder why the image was never complete unless that raven beauty was in his sight. More than anything, he despised Celebrimbor for being everything he wanted. He both hated and loved his dark Noldal, reveled in their time together, and the fucking and the writhing and the joining, but at the same time wanted to slit open the long white throat so oft bared to him in trust just to remove this obstacle. This test that the father himself must have put down on his long, winding road to block his stubbornness and obstinacy, his will to dominate, and his lust for greater things than even Melkor could claim to his accursed name. Scowling at such thoughts, he found that he held a deformed, twisted bit of metal beneath his hammer. For once, he had lost his focus, thinking about him. In disgust, Sauron tossed the metal into the fire, listening to the sharp clang of the gold against rough stone, The misshapen ring landed amongst the flames, lit up with orange and red and ash, reflecting back all the hatred Sauron felt at the moment and all of the passion. Perhaps it was time to put the final pieces of his plan into motion. What has you so frustrated, Lord Anatar? That voice. Sauron resisted the urge to shudder and glare as he faced the elf that haunted his dreams in all of his waking moments without thought or effort. Celebrimbor truly was a sight to behold. Any man or woman would be lucky to have such a bedmate. And in the firelight, with no shirt to cover his sculpted body, with sweat streaming over a heaving chest and lithe muscle, he was the epitome of tantalizing. The lust panged. Nothing of great importance. He lied as easily as he breathed. What brings you here? Eyes met his, and the look in them was all too familiar, even though he was Amaya, even though he should have perfect control of his being, the heat still bubbled in the pit of his belly like lava, as such a half-hooded look of pure longing and promise. What temptation had the father heaped upon him? Had he been one to lament, Sauron would have been weeping for the shame of his weakness at only a heated glance. I was looking for you. But how, how could he resist such a blatant offer, even now? He felt himself drawn away from the forge and the fire and the twisted gold in the flames, the promise of his dominion over all beings, lingering lost in the darkness of the horizon, just beyond sight. His throat was dry and tight as a gentle, cool touch burned at his forearm. Sauron allowed himself to pull that body closer. So I see, he replied, his voice low and hoarse, reverberating with the power of his fury and need. The body against his shivered delightfully. So easily. That face and that form consumed his thoughts, and Sauron could not help but wonder if this divine creature truly was a test laid out by the Father himself to put a stop to all of his plans and schemes, to halt the corrupted fallen angel in his tracks, to cage him with bars more solid and terrifying than any iron or mithril, because if he had to choose between the lust for power and the lust for this fiery spirit, he could not say with any certainty what he would choose. And that instability racked him with his first taste of fear. Intense. <laughs> Intense.
1: Indeed. So yeah, this kind of speaks to something that and again, like I'm somebody who doesn't read like a lot of fic, like, period. So I'm coming to this, like, I don't know, I guess fresh quote unquote. But it's sort of like like one of the things I like. I liked seeing explored in silver gifting is just how much like what's going on in Sauron's mind as he's going through this. And there's a couple of really interesting places that I think different authors will go to like here, like this author is going to like, Oh, he's, he's really in love with Celebrimbor. Like his feelings are both extremely real and something that he's really, really Angry about and like he he does not like that he's in love with Celebrimbor, and you know there are other other authors who will kind of explore like how his feelings are pretty completely not genuine and that it's all sort of a, a particular manipulation on his part and that there's no reciprocation between Celebrimbor and Sauron. So yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see how, how folks explore this. What What's going on in Sauron's brain when he's there in
2: Eregion for so long? What's going through Sauron's brain as he's making his lover into a blanket? <laughs> Spoiler alert,
1: man. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I think something that I have been kind of thinking about lately when we were talking about this episode was like how there's definitely vibes of the TV show Hannibal and the the ship of the murder husbands of mm-hmm, Will and mm-hmm. Hannibal and how terribly toxic that relationship really is and how much fun it is to ship those two together because they kind of have these same sort of feelings where it's like, oh, I'm really scared that I have real feelings for this person because... They're a, a monster, but i I can't deny that there's this really powerful connection between us. And with with the, with the murder husbands, it's like they kind of bring out both the best and the worst in each other. And it's really hard to distinguish between the line between those two things. And I sort of feel like this is kind of an interesting dynamic to to go to with silver gifting is like, you know, do they bring out the best in each other? Do they bring out the worst in each other?
0: You can ask such interesting questions about how things go right and how things go wrong and the tensions between that. Uh, And fiction is a brilliant place to ask those questions because Murder Husbands is not real-life relationship goals. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But one of the things that's very fascinating to me in something like this where canonically the characters have a lot of darkness and pain and harm in their overarching storyline there is a lot to mine and pull out and ask questions of and to explore in either leaning into those tropes and complicating them or inverting those tropes and doing something unexpected with them in either way. Yeah. Also, wow, Alicia's pronunciation of the word writhing is still just in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Like, I think I probably would have skipped over some of that phrasing and terminology as i was reading like i would have like kind of, kind of gone too fast for it so hearing it read out loud is kind of
1: cool
2: yeah 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 i'm reading it different because i'm having to slow down to you know read it with my mouth because i read <laughs> much faster than i can actually fucking talk right and like yeah i am definitely picking up one i'm picking up something that i don't like in the way this particular author writes there's repetition that really stands out to me when I read it out loud that doesn't mm-hmm. when I'm just reading it because I glance over it. Yeah, but some of it's real good. Like she she doesn't quite hit the lyricalness that Tolkien's writing sometimes gets to. But I think like occasionally she she touches it and it's great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of the stuff that I was thinking about when you were reading it was honestly touching on another another ship with Sauron. Which we may or may not get to in another episode. Which is the relationship between Sauron and Melkor.
2: I'm mining this fic for Aang Bang when we get to that point because Sauron and Melkor's relationship in this fic is real good. <laughs> it's oh man, I and
0: that is a relationship that that <laughs> Tolkien explicitly states is seduction. There are different ways, uh, linguistically, that seduction has a linguistic importance in all of that. And there there has historically been an element of deception to it, but that's a a pretty notable connotation that a lot of academia tends to shy away from because these are stories about men and the seduction must mean something different, of course. Of course. They were just pals.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just (laughs) removed
0: Just enemies, for yeah, Just reasons bros. that definitely
1: didn't have emotions involved. Yeah, just bros trying to take over the world together. <laughs> yeah,
0: by gifting each other jewelry.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of brought to mind this author was kind of moving through um, Sodom's thought processes about how his lust for power is still like this driving force, and how it was also a driving force for his master and kind of how like that sort of translates into like he wants to be the master you know he doesn't want to be the one who's submitting underneath somebody else and I definitely think that there's uh some very kinky elements to explore in that relationship and also in silver gifting for sure because it's Sauron we're talking about whose entire motive really is this this power whether it's power for complete domination of the of the earth or it's for complete sort of remaking of the earth like what are his goals in seeking this power and it it seems like it kind of can get a little bit fuzzy about how it manifests a bit but I don't know it's just like thinking about like how that relationship between Melkor and Sauron is sort of directly impacting Sauron's relationship with Celebrimbor in terms of somebody in power over another person is really, really making him pause and think about what's going on.
0: Kind of twisting him up. He Sauron could definitely use uh, just a little bit of a refresher course in BDSM etiquette, though, because right now he's a little bit of a bad dom.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Just,
0: just <laughs> not, not, not quite where we need to be on the negotiation piece of everything just yet.
1: Enthusiastic yeah. consent uh, <laughs> is something that I don't think that Sauron is very aware of or very... Um,
0: not in a sustained sense. Like you know. Long-term arcs, he struggles with that, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, that kind of harkens back to some of like the issues that I kind of have between some people's enthusiasm for particular ships, like the, between Melkor and Sauron and... It, to some extent, with silver gifting, is kind of this uh, bypassing or sort of ig- ignoring some of these power dynamics that are that are at play and some of the more dubious consent that can kind of arise with some of the some of the relationship dynamics.
2: Okay, so silver gifting AU, where they are in Fifty Shades of Grey.
1: Oh my god!
2: Just <laughs> <laughs> refuse. Yes because it's so accurate <laughs> damn it oh my god oh nope. it's almost one to one Christian Grey is yep. Sauron Christian Grey
0: is Sauron there was that previous Dom who really like fucked him up and now mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. fucked up relationship with it and he's gotta learn how to do all the etiquette things correctly oh, and my god. there's a lot of stalking and Oh my God! What's, oh my what's the God. Middle Earth equivalent of creepy helicopter ride?
2: <laughs> I don't it's creepy ride? I
0: guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like really? You solve that? You solved that equivalency, and you've got it.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh my, my God! God. Well, it, it would have to be a dragon, yeah. <laughs> it would have to It'd be. Be. be a dragon, yeah. yeah. Oh. Like, that came to my mind, and I was like, this is brilliant, but also it makes me very sad. <laughs> no, so I've just like, got, it's like, it's an it's
0: image it's of someone and Celebrimbor doing, it's doing it's this dragon ride a la, like, Aladdin and Jasmine. I can show you the world. <laughs> oh,
2: fuck and me. Alicia, this is cursed. <laughs> <first. laughs> yeah, so <laughs> the preview for our next episode, I'm just going to post, like, Sauron and Christian Grey and that's it wait, <laughs> this hint.
0: wait no can we do the meme that's like corporate would like you to find the difference between these two pictures,
2: <laughs> pictures yeah. the same picture. <laughs> I'm doing that as soon as we get off this call
1: <laughs> brilliant oh my god <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's brilliant and terrible. Oh my god, <laughs> terrible!
2: You know we've been saying it's Twilight fanfic all this time, but we were all deceived. <laughs> we <We're> all <laughs> deceived. Fifty no,
1: Shades
0: is Twilight fanfic, so it is still Twilight.
1: <laughs> <sighs> god. Oh, oh
2: man. Please, if you're listening to this right now and you weren't quite following the conversation we just had about enthusiastic consent and being a bad dom, and I don't know, aftercare, we didn't mention that, but that's also very important. Like, those are real things, and Fifty Shades of Grey is a depiction of abuse, as is silver gifting in general is a depiction of abuse, and it's cool if you like that and that's your thing, but it is not a good thing to base a relationship off of. It's not
1: relationship goals or, or aspirations, for sure. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was sort of getting at with some of my issues with Angbang, which is the, the ship name for Melkor and Sauron. I feel like there's so much stuff that goes terribly, terribly wrong in the way that some folks want to, I don't know, like rehabilitate that relationship. Or, I again, like I said, kind of bypass or completely ignore what's what's actually happening it makes a huge
0: difference to me when an author knows and is very obviously aware of the issues at hand and either i mean definitely tag things appropriately label things appropriately but either is very clear in that knowledge and the reader is aware that the the author knows of the problems even if the characters struggle with that or where the author sidesteps some of those problems by changing events and shifting things so as to, uh, to have a different contextualization of that. So that there are ways to enjoy, you know, a happier for now ending or whatever, where maybe Sauron doesn't go on and, and forge the one ring and use it to murder everyone and what have you. Yeah. There are different ways to, to write things and just have that awareness. So. I appreciate when authors do that. I enjoy those much more.
1: Yeah. And again, like not to yuck anybody's yum, but I just kind of want some self-awareness and some reflection in, in my fic about what's really going on and some thought given to to folks who are reading it and to where people might be taking things and educating folks on what is strictly in the realm of fiction and, and fun to keep in the realm of fiction and what is good to bring out into your real life and your, to your real relationships? Yeah,
0: I mentioned earlier too. Fiction is a phenomenal place to explore and unpack some tropes and concerns and and thoughts and all of that. And that doesn't mean that it's advocacy for those same things occurring in real life.
1: One thousand percent. One yeah, thousand fiction percent. being
0: fiction is really, really key. Uh, again. Sauron and Celebrimbor as canonically written, not relationship goals.
1: No, I'm sorry, guys. It's not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it doesn't end well. Chapter three, Alicia? All right. Chapter 47, Disaster. Around them, the darkness curled and twisted, blackening the world to Celebrimbor's eyes with the rising of the new moon. It was nights like this that he had once despised that would remind him of the curse that lay heavily on his shoulders that kept him apart from all others, isolated, alone, that he was not alone. Safely, he was wrapped in powerful arms, cradled, comforted, warm, a familiar chin, square and sharp, rested atop his head. Every time he blinked, his eyelashes brushed the delicate skin of his lover's throat, blue veins visibly throbbing so close that he could count the pulses. About him, the thick musk of sex twined with the other man's natural lavender scent, perfuming their room so intimately it made him shiver. Anatar, his beloved, his one, the only one he would ever love with all his soul. He had become used to this comfort wrapped around his body, holding back the chill of shards of memories that he never wanted to piece back together. He had become used to the presence at his side, driving back the knives that waited in the dark, the nightmares that haunted these chambers, waiting to ensnare and devour him, protecting him. But tonight he had felt no rest, felt no comfort, no protection was to be found in this embrace. Celebrimbor held still, hardly daring to breathe, where he lay entwined with Anatar, golden hair blanketing their glistening bodies. He hardly dared to think lest he wake the other, lest he be discovered. His world had collapsed and he could be certain of nothing, not his lover, not himself, not his own mind. The tower of his trust had broken at the foundations, crumbled and toppled and buried him beneath thousands of tons of stones carved from secrets and cemented in place with the glue of sweet memories, sweet memories of lying together, sharing heat, their laughter lighting the shadows crawling over the land until they were banished from his sight. Memories of strong hands guiding his arms, of gentle touches that barely brush skin, yet burn hotter than white flame. Memories of lying beneath the wide-open sky, blanketed only by darkness and cushioned by only the thick grass and earth, where nothing existed in the world but them, two becoming one. Memories of being together in the most intimate way two beings could be. So close Celebrimbor could not be certain where one ended and the other began. It only happened once in all an elf's life, and he had chosen Anatar. What a fool he had been. You should not trust so easily that which appears divine, Galadriel had warned. I would not keep his company in my kingdom, even were it to kill me, Gilgalad had informed. Watch him closely, keep your counsel quiet to your breast, Kierdan had advised. Blinded, infatuated, fascinated, he had ignored them all for they had never met Anatar, never spoken to him, never basked in his golden warmth and his sweet, deep amber eyes. They could not possibly understand how he felt. They could not possibly condemn the stranger on a mere whim of their ancient hearts, for what did they know? More than he had, they had trusted their intuition and had not been blinded with powerful false light and slippery, seductive words. Even now, even in, with the afterglow hazed around him, Hellebrimbor shivered listening to the steady, deep breaths of the man wrapped around him. Those hands that touch with such tenderness and control could wield a whip or a knife with equal proficiency, could make a poor soul scream and wail with but a slash, could draw forth the blackest secrets from a heart in but an hour. Stained in blood and hard, they now felt spidery and unclean where they rested on his back, no longer reassuring, but traitorously threatening. Everything he thought he had known now felt wrong, sullied and violated. This was the Maya, the man, with whom he shared even the sanctuary of his mind and body. Pain rippled through him at the thought, almost physical in the destruction it wrought, in the sting of tears it brought to the eyes that had not cried since the long-lost days of terror and fire wrought by Feanor. Without Anatar, how could he be whole? Without his golden presence, the sweet lavender and amber gaze, the comforting strokes on his shoulder and the sultry voice in his ear, the nights without loneliness and despair, the days full of laughter and company. How could he possibly survive without his other half? Who was he supposed to be in the wake of devastation? What was left? Not his freedom, not his dignity or pride, not his innocence, not even blessed ignorance. There was nothing left to him but knowledge of betrayal, for even the fury that burned in his heart of hearts was tempered and smothered by the powerful devotion he felt towards his other half. Reality had been uprooted, revealed for what it was, nothing but a naive daydream. The truth slashed across his spirit like a rusted blade and left him broken on the ground. Uncertainty, terror, confusion, betrayal so powerful that he wanted to scream and cry, to break something— to wrap his fingers around Anatar's throat and strangle him so that the voice and those hands could never do harm to anyone ever again, so the Maya could never fully carry out his ultimate betrayal of Celebrimbor's unwavering trust. Frightened to death, the lord of Aragion closed his eyes and prayed. He would need all his strength to balance on the edge of the disaster that had uprooted his soul. The war was only just beginning, and if he did not do something, he would lose before it even began. Now the betrayed would become the betrayer, And the cursed would become the savior. And then when all was said and done, when the last vestiges of his scarred and shattered soul had been crushed to dust by hatred and beloved eyes and agony from familiar fingers, he could close his eyes and welcome the peace that lay only beyond the cage of the body. Maybe there he would recover would rebuild himself from the ground up, would reclaim some of who he had once been before Anatara had welded himself into all that Celebrimbor was and would ever be, but he would never be the same. The damage had been done irrevocably and irreversibly. I'm not reading the next chapter, but the next chapter is Celebrimbor falling at Eregion and being captured and tortured by Sauron. This fic covers that, and what happens in the aftermath of Celebrimbor's death. Yikes. Yeah. It's real dark. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's intense.
0: That line about the hands feeling spidery yeah. is such a good line. Because it draws on so much of Tolkien's like disquiet around spiders and... Shellab and Angolian to know like it draws upon this Tolkienian imagery in yeah. a very very swift, very evocative way that just gets at the the wrongness of it. That's brilliantly done.
1: I'm taking a stab in the dark, but I'm guessing this is after Kilabrimbor has realized that Sauron has made the one ring. Yes. In this moment. Oof. Okay. I I do have some questions about why he's in bed with him after he's found that out, but okay, that's that's (laughs) questions another another time, perhaps.
0: Um, In this particular (laughs) fic, did he know that when he like got into bed with him this time, or did like was that a realization that he like awakened with?
2: There's some ambiguity into the in the timeline and uh, about this specifically because of how this is written. I am almost positive. That this is after he has made Narya and realizes that he's been betrayed, but I'm not a hundred percent sure whether this okay. is the awakening of his suspicions or the after the proof. Or like,
1: he actually is like, oh,
2: you're wearing the one ring, you know? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: One of the things that I really like that some authors are able to accomplish is we talked about canonically this this relationship is abusive whether it's romantic or sexual or not in in canon or fic or whatever it's abusive and i think there's something very powerful about authors being able to write that experience and convey it in ways that are both a warning and a validation to people who have or might go through any sort of similar experience and doing that well is a very uncomfortable thing to read, but it's sometimes very important.
1: Yeah, reading about this particular kind of trauma, and especially like I was thinking about, you know, when this author was kind of reflecting about how is could possibly come back from this kind of trauma, and how it, it might not even happen until he's he's literally dead. Like he he might not ever get the chance to do this. He might never heal from this that's whew, that's rough to really process and to read about and it's also something that's really like important and cathartic I think for a lot of people and I I feel like fanfic is it's one of those mediums where it can feel really safe to process trauma and to to move through trauma and talk about it in a protected sort of way and in a way that feels very validating in a way and honors the experiences that you've gone through and and what others have gone through. And so I feel like this is this is kind of an area where I've been really interested in with this particular ship is unpacking this moment of betrayal and unpacking what's going through Celebrimbor's
2: head as he goes through this. Yeah. And I I think that even I'm not 100% sure of the gender of this author, but I am willing to bet this is a woman or someone who is assigned female at birth because there is so much socialization surrounding sex and betrayal that girls get that boys don't. And I see that here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: statistically, 80% of fan fiction authors thereabouts are women or a gender that is not the cis man.
1: So, yeah, marginalized genders. It's like we've been writing this stuff forever because these are the stories that, that we have, you know, and the the stories that, that we can tell. Yeah.
0: There's a reason that the particularly large multi-fandom fandom archive that has the most preeminence on the Internet right now is called Archive of Our Own and draws upon that Virginia Woolf terminology like a room of our own and all of that because it's a place for so much of the voice and writing of people of marginalized genders can be archived and accessed and preserved
2: what drew you to choose these chapters in particular alicia well one because i thought the torture chapters were a little bit too much um (laughs) (laughs) yep probably was. There's another chapter that I was going back and forth about including because it's the aftermath of Sauron having murdered Celebrimbor as he's grappling with the fact that he realized that, oh, my God, no, I really love him only after he's dead. And then he fucks Mm -hmm. his way around Numenor trying to forget Celebrimbor. And there's just something about that that I think is beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And like, he's he's honestly, he's being haunted by the ghost of well, what his he's perceiving as the ghost of Celebrimbor. And that's actually what ends mm-hmm. up pushing him to establish Barador. It's it's an interest. It's a stretch, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting stretch. But like, yeah. I thought these three chapters were good because it really sets up where they're both beginning. And then at least where Celebrimbor ends. And I think in this particular mm-hmm. ship the journey of Celebrimbor is really the important one because he's the one who really goes through it, right? Like, there's not a lot of growth in Sauron in this particular bit of time. Yeah. Except that chapter I didn't read about how he dealt with the death, which is interesting. Also, a lot of the other chapters that are surrounding this ship, this author has an AU, where the entire house of Fenway comes back in the third age. Oh, shit don't go so well for Keller uh, Good boy. Good boy Yeah. <laughs> so this was like the least depressing and disturbing chapters that I could have chosen. Essentially. For extremely valid reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the way that she's dealing with some of this, like really heavy shit. It's something yeah. that's, Peppered throughout this entire fit because she writes a lot about Mythros and other like really conflicted characters that have like essentially PTSD. And that's how Sauron is treated for the majority of the time that she's writing about him because it's he was seduced and betrayed by Melkor. And like, yeah, eventually it becomes yeah. this like festering grudge where he feels like he can become what Melkor should have been. But like at the beginning of right. it, there's this like tiny hurt little boy Sauron that turns into a monster and I was just the way that she treats this stuff is surprisingly relatable and deep for a fanfic honestly she's dealing with some really heavy shit in a way that's very deft yeah 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 I was
0: debating if I was going to read a section of any fanfic and I think yeah, I think honestly there's a section that I am going to read partly because this was one of the the first fix that I read in this pairing that it like made me question what tropes and roles and and all of that I sort of mentally assigned to the different characters because I I tend to think of this relationship in kind of exactly the same ways that the fic that Alicia read lays out like Sauron as this manipulative abuser and Celebrimbor as earnest for lack of a better word victim who doesn't perceive what's going on until it's too late and I kind of have a hard time looking at any sort of happy ending for the two of them given how canon turns out and and kind of what could you do that w- that might shift that or change that aside from just like ignoring a lot of stuff yeah and the thing that i like about this particular fic that i am going to read an excerpt of is that it has like a nebulous happy ending it sets up a place where something might change and it might become an au sort of thing and the, the premise of this fic, it's called Surrender, and it's by Ancient Moonshine. It's the sequel to another work that they had written. The premise of this is that Celebrimbor, at the point that this fic happens, already knows that Anatar is Sauron, and Anatar doesn't realize that he knows. Now, definitely a content warning here because the fic is mostly porn, which we love, but this is definitely picking up mid-coitus, and I am actually just trying to keep it fairly clean in all of this. But I also enjoy it because it turns the narrative of who is in control and seeking dominance and everything on kind of on its head. and that still works for me for sauron's character because if anyone is familiar with sort of bdsm etiquette and all of that the person who's in the submissive role actually holds the most power because consent is kind of like hard stops with them yeah so here is our narrative selection anatar's flesh is heated gold His fingers touch light, reverent trails down Celebrimbor's back, legs wrapping around his waist, and Celebrimbor thinks hazily that he can spend an eternity between his thighs, his breath catching as Xanatar's mouth opens in a silent song, and Celebrimbor sees that flash of light there again, quivering and faint but so, so pure. A trembling flame that Celebrimbor cups between his hands as he kisses him, firm and hard and possessive, like he was daring Morgoth to return from the doors of night and take back what now belongs to Celebrimbor. And as Anatar responds with eager innocence, Celebrimbor decides to make the most singularly reckless decision of his life. He had been given a taste, and now he wants everything. Do you know what I'm thinking about now? Celebrimbor asks softly. Anatar shudders, shakes his head. Celebrimbor kisses him, lingering and gentle, pouring out all centuries of pent up affection, tenderness, need, and grief into the kiss, everything he'd kept hidden, leaving Anatar shaking as he hands it. I'm thinking of you, your true name. Celebrimbor breathes against Anatar's lips Sauron. The name feels wrong in Celebrimbor's mouth, but it is the name his lover chosen for himself here in Middle-earth, and what he'll be known as until Arda can be healed of the hurts he and his old master caused. Anatar flinches, eyes going wide with something approaching fear as he tilts his hips up to meet Celebrimbor's thrust. Celebrimbor pushes the hair away from his forehead and nuzzles at his cheek. Anatar looks at him with shocked eyes, too overwhelmed to attempt any manipulation. His lips fall open at a particularly hard thrust, but Celebrimbor almost comes right then and there. Somehow, he manages to contain himself, brushing his mouth against Anatar's throat. Nipping at it, Anatar shudders, hurt flashing through his gaze, but Celebrimbor chases it away with a lingering kiss against the vulnerable flesh. Look at me, Sauron. He lets the command weave through his voice. Dear one, look at me. Sauron obeys. His hazy eyes stare into Celebrimbor's disbelieving, bewildered. Celebrimbor presses a gentle kiss against his forehead, smiling faintly. Don't hide, he murmurs. He trails a thumb down Sauron's face, thrust in deep. Sauron's cry breaks around Celebrimbor's ears as he picks up the pace, punishingly gentle. Reaching up to encircle Sauron's wrists with his fingers like manacles, binding Sauron to him as Sauron damn near Keen's hips thrusting up to meet Celebrimbor's merciless pace. How? Sauron's question is a silent sigh against his mouth as Celebrimbor kisses him. Why? Celebrimbor can answer neither, so he doesn't try. Just kisses Sauron as softly as he can, touching him everywhere, transmuting him. Sauron's body moving in time with his as Celebrimbor molds his body according to his design. A collaboration that neither expected nor planned for, and Asaron seeks Celebrimbor's mouth in a desperate kiss, arching against him with a soft moan. Celebrimbor knows it's a project he never wants to end. A sudden sense of urgency seizes him. Words bubbling up inside him, lodging deep in his throat, but he forces them out, certainty like a shard deep in his chest, telling them if he doesn't say this now, he'll never have another chance. When Huan had his jaws around your throat, Luthien had you yield your tower, your dominion to her, or be unhoused, Celebrimbor says, his voice low. Sauron's staring at him, his eyes are a ruin. I want something else. I want you to yield something else. He punctuates this with a firm thrust, and Sauron lets out a gasp. Celebrimbor had escaped his grandfather's oath only to bind himself with his own, and he can feel the weight of it hanging between him and Sauron, binding them ever closer. Do you yield yourself to me? Celebrimber's voice is devastatingly soft against Sauron's ear. Sauron, Lord of Werewolves, Gorarth of the Cruel, Anatar, whatever name you call yourself, whatever name you'll have. He buries himself inside Sauron as deep as he can go, crushing him with his body, unable to stand any minuscule amount of space between them, and he can see the exact moment where that quavering piece of light in Sauron's eyes flares bright and breaks. Are you mine? For a moment, he sees Sauron hesitate. Celebrimbor kisses him and Sauron crumbles. My lord, master. Small tapering cry that tears out of Sauron's throat as he calms his answer enough, and Celebrimbor lets out a broken breath as he lets go. It continues a bit from there uh, and ends on this sort of nebulous happiness point of, like, what if this was a way that the narrative shifts and changes, Right? And I just kind of love the idea that, like, if Sauron had a good dom, <laughs> things would be so much better.
1: My God. Yeah. Like, fuck this Morgoth guy. Yeah. Oh, God. Fuck you, Morgoth, man. <laughs> I'm <laughs> screwed everything up. <laughs> But it was an interesting fic to me because
0: that's not the role that I usually think of Celebrimbor taking. I don't usually think of him having that agency in the situation and, and it being able to be the agent of change in that dynamic. And that's one of the things that I really, really like about fanfiction is that different authors can take things and just completely... Make you think about them in a different way, turn them on their head, and you can have all of these parallel versions and questions asked.
1: Totally, yeah. I think this is a great example of that. Whew! I'm like again, I'm like fanning myself. <laughs> that
0: was the least spicy part of that pick, by the way. <laughs> no,
1: yeah. Goodness, my goodness. But yeah. I think that that's such a a great example of how transformative works work in that way and how you can really question power dynamics and really question the the particular relationship between these two and really turn them on their head.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so much room in a lot of Tolkien's characters to be able to play with that sort of thing because that's not out of character for Celebrimbor. He's the grandson of Feanor. Obviously, he has that within him, right? Yeah.
1: I think
0: one of the things that's really key for me too is that within fandoms we end up with headcanons, right? We end up with ways that we think of a particular character as being. We have ways of thinking of a particular character as being and the the ways in which they interact that are in character and sometimes that's more a, a reader conceptualization than it is within the original text and we can go back to the text and take things a different direction and that's really cool
1: yeah I love being invited to to think about things differently and to really like but like the best kind of fic, I think, really makes characters into full people who are complicated and do contradictory things and give a much fuller view of like a full person who has like a full interior life and a complex and confusing and weird like way of being. And I love it when, when fic sort of invites me to really go back and rethink about my own conceptions and how how what I'm reading is more of a reflection of myself than perhaps what could be interpreted
2: or seen by somebody else. That is one of the beautiful and also, uh, terrible things about doing reader response work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because like the, the basis of doing reader response work is that there, there is no canonical text essentially. And that every single reader, what they get out of a text is the canonical text, which is something that's really hard to wrap your head around. Because a lot of people will read a book and what it is that they picture in their head, that movie, that is what's canon to them. And they don't understand that every single person who reads the book has their own paintbrushes Mm. and paints, as it were, to make their own movie in their head. Yeah. And that those are going to be different because everyone's lived different lives. And that's one of the things that is so fascinating about fan works in general, like fan art, fanfic, is that you get a glimpse into how someone else has depicted this same thing that you read and saw completely differently. Until you start getting into adaptations that canonize things that you... It's really hard to get away from i've I've had conversations with other scholars about how the Lord of the Rings movies have both made better and worse the the fan sphere because it canonized Vigo Mortensen as Aragorn and Ian McKellen as Gandalf, and it's really hard to find depictions of them where they are not those particular actors in the case of art or they're not portrayed the way that they were in the movies in the case of fic.
1: Yeah.
2: which it's one of the things that's so cool about the silmarillion because it's probably never going to be adapted or if it is it's probably going to be after we're all dead i can't imagine the estates going to give up the rights to it <laughs> but yeah. it's this it's this fertile ground it's a very fertile ground to play in yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I can get why people
1: have you know state like you know can spend a lifetime in this in this particular sandbox and this particular corner of fandom and spin out six hundred thousand word fix about <laughs> about it, you know,
0: yeah one of the things that's really notable to me with this particular pairing though too is that no, we don't have you know, a film of the Silmarillion depicting all of this, we're still pretty unclear on where like the Rings of Power adaptation is going to do some things. Although certainly the visual characterizations of some of the involved characters are different than what a lot of fans were expecting based on their mental movie. But also there is another like type of IP involved here, and that's the the video games, the mm-hmm. it's like Shadows of Remordor right. and all that, in which Celebrimbor and Sauron or Anatar are characters, and there are some things in there that are not Tolkien's canon, at least, <laughs> but that are very fondly held by fans of. That, that particular type of ip and the art that comes from it and the, the fanfic that's come from it if i remember correctly spoilers for this video game that i have never played or seen or whatever like but... 10 years old yeah <laughs> But if anyone was like looking keenly for that story, I'm pretty sure that there's something at the end of like Celebrimbor and Sauron become one being, who are the the lidless eye wreathed in flame together, and like Celebrimbor's ghost and like inhabits the body of a ranger. There's some stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Celebrimbor wow. inhabits the body of I forgot the ranger's name. It starts starts with a T. It does. Is yeah. Talon or Paulian? something like that? Talon, yeah. I think it is. <laughs> I think it's Pellion. It. That that is one hundred percent who it is. Uh, I also, never played that game because it just sounded like such horseshit to me that I couldn't get on board <laughs> with. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's also there's a depiction of uh, Anatar and Celebrimbor's relationship in Lord of the Rings online in a in a flashback that happens mm-hmm. there. I see when mm-hmm. you were going through a and which is, it's Lord of the Rings Online. It's a fucking 15-year-old game, so it looks like it was made on a potato. But...
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you get to watch Sauron as Anatar walking into a Regian the first time and meeting the elves, and that's kind of cool.
1: That's that very cool. cool.
2: But yeah, I think
0: we see uh, some of those depictions are very dearly held in the the fandom... Thoughts around these characters for people who are familiar with the video game IPs then have been a a point of debate, discussion, discourse as other adaptations come forward. And those don't necessarily match with the, the computer generated imagery or fan art that was popularized sort of on the basis of those depictions. So I think that's that's another just interesting piece of the puzzle for this particular pairing where there there is this sort of like mid-level popularity visual depiction that yeah. really influences things, but that not everyone is aware of. And it, it creates a lot of different entry points
1: for folks.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is the primary reason why I don't like Celebrimbor's casting in Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I did see a lovely meme as in this regard that I will read the internet to you all and share with you. Uh, It was just someone on Tumblr had said, listen, mad respect for all of the people who are shipping like grandpa Kella brimbor and hot young thing sauron that is exactly the thing
1: that I mean, the producers it.
0: wanted to to avoid and you are doing it anyway and like that is god's work
1: yep i'm super into it oh, <laughs> my God. i'm not gonna lie i'm super into it <laughs> i'm like el with wrinkles and timeless immortal maya who looks like boy band i'm kind
2: of like oh cute. <laughs> I wouldn't mind other like old elves, like fucking make make Gilgalad old, make Cirdan old. Cirdan looks old; he's got a fucking beard. He's the only elf that does for whatever fucking reason. Thanks, Tolkien, for just throwing that out there and beard, and not like a little (laughs) hipster stash.
1: Okay, yeah, he better like win the fucking beard off thing that like people like spend like years like preparing their beards for he, right but, yeah
0: every dwarf is not over here just like flirting with Kirdon because his
1: beard is beautiful <laughs> yeah, no problem. being like what do you use
2: <laughs> but yeah like i just i wanted my my hot keller and hot anatar because i have been all about this ship for an embarrassingly long time <laughs> you're You're absolutely valid, and they chat all over it. Amazon chat all over my ship. <laughs> I totally hear you. I totally hear you. Do we want to kind of wrap it up
1: in some kind yeah. of? Neat, neat I was boat? going to
0: also make a comment just about the nature of fan fiction because I love transformative works. I think that they're amazing and very cool and really allow us to dig into a fandom and interrogate it and, and really ask deep questions of an IP. And sometimes there aren't deep questions and it's just smut and that's great too. Yep. Or it's just like this delightful little curtain pick of like this little moment that's, that's left to the side and that and fills in the gaps and that's all delightful. But there was a couple of quotes from the article that I talked about earlier that had cited the the study about sort of compensation for authors in various genres and was going on to talk about fan fiction and Tabitha in here makes the point that John Updike rewrote Hamlet as erotic fan fiction from the point of view of Gertrude and Claudius that was one of the the examples that she pointed out in the article of like transformative works that have existed at other points in time Later on in the article, she makes the point that you will see some bad fan fiction too, and you could say that the difference between the categories of published homage and fan fiction is quality. But John Updike, though, <laughs> <laughs> I just like that snark and sass, and <sighs> um, and just pointing out that the the argument that that fan fiction is not good because it's free is really not a valid one there's amazing stuff out there it really is it may not be out of everyone's taste but that's okay yeah. there's lots of flavors of tea out there
1: yeah and like that it's an inherently of lower quality because it's not published or whatever or that it's 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 made by people playing with other characters or you know things that they haven't created and generated of themselves that's a thing that a lot of people use in a really derogatory way, like talking about rings of power, you know, they're all like, Oh, it's just, you know, fanfic. And they're, they're using that word and that term specifically to, you know, demean and diminish it because fanfic is in their eyes, inherently unworthy of your attention and of your consideration. And that's absolutely hands down, not true. And it's super As we've kind of have kind of hinted at, like marginalized genders have been sort of taking fanfic into really new and beautiful places because we haven't been able to see ourselves in what's being published, and that's changing slowly. But the fact still remains that the vast majority of fanfic writers are of marginalized genders, and there's a reason for that. And I feel like we could do with some interrogating why we think of fanfic and other marginalized uh, genres as inherently unlike romance or sci-fi and fantasy as inherently unworthy because of the d- disproportionate you know number of marginalized authors who are who are working in those genres
2: yeah i think it's a particular disservice to people who write Tolkien fanfiction because we've all seen I'm a 12 year old girl writing a 10th Walker fanfic. We've all seen that and like just random portal fiction. And but like even, even that stuff, even when it's not very good and it's obviously just someone cutting their teeth on writing, it's still someone cutting their teeth on writing. Like that's how a lot of fanfic comes into being is someone wants to write, but they don't know how to build out a world themselves. They dabble in an existing world. And those people end up becoming very good writers there are a lot of of really good like tolkien based fanfics that one are very well written and two are so well researched there are people Mm -hmm. who write tolkien fanfic who know more about tolkien than i do and i fucking write academic papers on tolkien like there are people who know more about the silmarillion that i'll ever know in my entire life yeah
0: you will find fanfic in tolkien fandom where the author's note is almost as long as the fic itself like
2: Absolutely. I love it. I, I used like these three words and here is the translation of here. Some of the authors notes will be like, I wanted to say this in Kuzdul. So I learned how to fucking write Kuzdul <laughs> because I'm writing indoors fucking oh, each other do. and they have to be able to say you're mine. So oh, here's God. how I did that. And here's what it means. And here's the actual gloss of it. Like, that, that's so much fucking work. <laughs> it's so
1: fucking cool. I I love it. I love it so much. Like, yeah. It's, it's so like the dedication, the creativity, the heart and the love for it. Like that's uh oh, like I I feel like that that's like it's such a wonderful gift that that people give freely and without compensation out into the world and yeah, yeah. I I'm so here for it. There are such interesting pieces too
0: that like there's a different skill in writing fan fiction where you need to be able to synthesize and incorporate information in ways that bring the world to life in a way that if you're writing your own original fiction, you are only bounded by what you have previously written. Agreed. But if you're writing in a world of fan fiction, whether that is Tolkien or Star Wars or, I don't know, like My Little Pony is the big thing, there are fandoms that are devoted entirely to uh stories and appreciation of bands and and things like that oh yeah the level of knowledge that you need to have and research and be able to incorporate seamlessly is a skill that is often overlooked so like i think of that example in the fic that i read like there's a reference to Baron and Luthien and this past set of events with Sauron. I think of the fic that Alicia read and there all of the information about like Morgoth slash Melkor and like these veiled references to ingolion and Shellob and the the spiders in Merkwood and The Hobbit and, and like all of this is being drawn on and incorporated very deftly to evoke all of those connotations but also be completely understandable if you've just glossed past it and you don't have that context as a reader that's some skill like that's not just laziness or whatever people like robin hobb accuse fan fiction
1: authors of or whatever like
0: that's uh that's work so totally
1: totally yeah that's writing that's what writing's all about you know
0: there's a reason that all of the, the authors on archive of our own are like Hugo nominated and everything. The, the archive itself was Hugo nominated. And I, I do not recall. I would have to fact check myself on if there was any award given or whatever, but yeah. it's because that writing is real and interesting and there are still published professional authors who also go and post their fanfics.
1: So absolutely. So how do you guys want to tie it up? Well, shit! I hadn't thought of that part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we hope that our little gift to all of you of our thoughts and impressions on fanworks and this particular silver gifting ship uh, is appreciated and keeps your your thoughts warm through the holidays. And uh, we will see you all in January. <laughs>
1: Keep your thoughts so so warm. So very, very warm. <laughs> so hot. So
0: spicy.
1: Very, very hot.
0: Very warm. Like the fires of Mount Doom warm.
1: Our, yeah, the fires of Mount Doom or sexy Anatar's body. Hot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait, what was the line that Alicia read out about like, I don't know, like California's very hair or whatever? <laughs>
1: Yeah. His rear his rear end. Oh yeah. Hot as hot as, as, hot as Bloomberg's rear end.
2: Oh. I think it was smooth actually. I very specifically chose something where they weren't actively fucking. <laughs>
1: that's what grace wanted to bring so exactly exactly (laughs) he chose the least spicy part of that
0: fanfic and i specifically specifically avoided words that for me take it take me out of the narrative of like very specific words about body parts that i feel Mm -hmm. like characters in the second age would not think of themselves that way
1: Yeah. yeah but that's
0: a personal author choice and like it's not my choice when I write historical fictiony type things, but you know, more power to other folks. Um, yeah. So yeah I, oh, yeah, I avoided the incredibly spicy parts. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we got to have some holiday spice in our supergifting <laughs> so episode cheer. anyway. Oh, our holiday cheer. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> so sweet. To be clear, I am
0: dressed 100% as a schoolmarm right now, and I'm delighted.
1: I'm right I was going to ask you about your sweater a little bit well, later. I'm dressed but... as,
0: as an absolute schoolmarm of a, a lady <laughs> with like an Icelandic
2: cardigan.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah.
2: What an ending to this episode. We what had, like, kind uh, of an ending, and now we're just chatting
1: for
0: 15 I know. minutes. So, okay, so hold on. So hold on. So it's like, I think mean, Tim gets to make sense of
1: this. Gonna say, try, I'm going to try to help out uh, editor Tim here. We hope to kind of dip into some more fan elements and shipping elements. We keep going in this podcast because that's a big part of our far fandom, and we have to explore this kind of wider world of Tolkien, and Our fan experience is the relationship between Tolkien and the people who read him. So hopefully we get to bring you more episodes like this. And we hope that your holidays are warm and peaceful and that you get lots of rest. And whatever you celebrate or you don't celebrate brings you joy and peace. So, uh, Alicia, do you want to read where folks can find us?
2: Sure. Join us in the new year. We're going to have our first guest in January. Very excited about that. You can find us on uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, or stream our episodes directly on Zencaster. That's Zencaster.com slash queer lodgings the tolkien podcast with a bunch of hyphens between all those words please leave us a rating like share and subscribe you can find us on uh, facebook at queer lodgings twitter for right now at queer underscore lodgings or you can send us an email with your feedback or episode ideas at queer lodgings podcast at gmail.com
0: you can also email us those fic recommendations
2: there that's true if you don't want to call yourself out on uh, social (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's true. If you want to remain anonymous, we will totally take it through email. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 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 that we could make bank if we started doing audio recordings of fanfic for people. I bet that you cannot make bank. You are
0: you are in fact not allowed to make bank. God damn it. You're right. (laughs) Also I promise you I promise you that you do not want to get into the podficking drama that exists. No one wants that. No no one needs that.
1: You're probably right.
0: Damn. Like you know I go to drama like a moth to a flame sometimes I don't go into these quarters (laughs) I just watch a couple of my friends and I'm like how fascinating
1: spill the tea but like you know I'm not I'm not gonna brew that tea